I am not a struggle. My sexuality is not a struggle. It is not a temptation. It is not a trial. It is not something on my mortal coil that will be taken away from me in the next life. It is something beautiful. You're listening to Scars We Share. I'm your host, Kayleen. I am honored to speak with Chelsea for this episode. She's an amazing human being and has been through so much in her life. We do discuss abuse and mention self-harm in this episode. My name is Chelsea Hickman. I am a playwright. I'm an actor. I direct things. I teach university theater at Utah Valley University, and I'm an elementary school theater teacher. And I think that's enough. That's it. (laughs) It's not much theater or anything. No. (laughs) I've mentioned it before on air. Like, I have so many theater friends since that's what I studied. And so a ton of people who have been on (laughs) all, like, theater people. And I kind of love it. It's great. (laughs) Anyway, so let's jump in with the physical scar that you want to talk about. Yeah. Um, So I have this very interesting scar on the left heel of my foot. And um, it's shaped like an upside down carrot. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's a very odd little scar. And I got it one night while I was playing hide and go seek uh, with my friends at a church function (laughs) at Achievement Days. I, um, I was born and raised LDS, and so a lot of my friends growing up were also LDS. And on Wednesday nights, we would meet together as... What's the age group? It's like eight to 12 years? I think so. Something like that? Something like that, yeah. So we would gather together as as little girls, and um, whenever the leaders weren't watching, we would just run around the church playing games because that's what you did. Uh-huh. Anyway, so one night, we were playing hide-and-go-seek in the overflow, um, the chapel overflow area, and all the lights were off, and I decided to be really sneaky with my spot. And so I hid in between this bendable door that has a razor metal edging on the very bottom and the wall of, um, of the exit door. And I remember finding that little nook and cranny and cramming myself in that little hole and looking up at the exit sign that was above me and thinking, oh, <laughs> this may not be a good spot to hide, <laughs> but this is where I'm going to. And so I did. And then um, I heard my friends come into the chapel chapel overflow, and I got really quiet. And then I got the idea that I was going to try to scare them. And so I jumped out, and I sliced the (sighs) bottom of my ankle on that metal edge of the door. And it made it so that I couldn't walk, so I immediately fell on the ground, and I screamed, and my friends screamed, and initially they thought it was a joke, and then they realized it very quickly it was not a joke, and I was getting blood on the church carpet, and we had to call my mom, and then I had to go to the hospital, and I got my first ever stitches. Oh my gosh. And, oh, really cool, though, I had my first ever whatchamacallit. Have you ever had those candy bars? Oh, Yes. Yeah. A, a long time ago. But okay. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I was waiting in the lobby to go get my stitches and I had my first whatchamacallit while I was there. Anyway, so I got my stitches and then I had to relearn how to walk and I was on crutches for a long time. And yeah, that's, that's my physical scar. That's kind of crazy. I know. <laughs> Oh, those old church days. Yeah, I, <laughs> I remember we did night games a lot. Mm-hmm. We, I loved doing night games. Yeah. Oh, man. Good times. Yeah. Capture the flag. Yes. Oh. Kick the can. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to have a game of capture the flag now in our 30s. I think that would be incredible. I think that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, oh, and sardines. We always did sardines. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Oh. So yeah. fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Take me back. Goodness. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so we're going to delve in now to the more difficult side. Mm-hmm. What internal scar are you going to tell us about? Yeah. Um, I, I have a lot. I have a lot of scars and they're still healing. Some of them aren't, aren't scars yet. Mm-hmm. They're still deep wounds that are congealing and healing and becoming something different. But yeah, I guess when I think about my childhood and I, th- and I was thinking today about that scar on my heel 
and where it happened and who it happened with. And the relearning how to walk, I think, can tie into a lot of my spiritual journey and my personal journey as someone of the LDS faith, as well as the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where do I start? <laughs> um, I guess we'll start at the beginning. A very good place to start. Yes. <laughs> so I was actually born three and a half months early. I was a pound and 12 ounces when I was born. And um, there were many complications, both for my mom and for me when I was uh, when I first came to this world. The doctors told my parents that if I was going to live, that there would be uh, serious abnormalities with my sight, with my hearing, walking, development, and they were also very worried that they weren't that I wasn't gaining weight um, to survive. And they gave my parents kind of an ultimatum of if we're not able to get the feeding tube inside of her, because my organs were all underdeveloped, um, you may need to say goodbye. And at that time, my dad, my dad was raised LDS by his Catholic mom and his sort of off and on again Mormon dad. Up until I was born, my dad had been inactive in the LDS church for 10, 15 years, something like that. Wow. But he had a very strong impression that he needed to give me a father's blessing um, while I was in the NICU. He was actually driving to say goodbye to me that morning. And when he got to my my isolate um, in the NICU, instead of saying goodbye, he got the impression to give me a blessing, which I think is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so he gave me a blessing. And in that blessing, um, he commanded me in the name of God to grow up a normal, healthy girl and to have a normal, healthy life and to be happy and be healthy. and. If you, you can call it a miracle, you can call it science, but uh, the feeding tube was able to be inserted later on that night and I gained the weight that I needed to. And then I was in the NICU for three months Wow! and then I was able to go home. So my relationship with the LDS church is a very visceral run, a very immediate and urgent relationship. One that has felt special from, the, from before I even uh, getting a mortal body. So my mom and my dad, unfortunately, they got a divorce when I was three years old. I have a younger brother by now. Um, My mom brought in many suitors into our home. Some were great and some were not. I, I was abused by one of my former stepfathers when I was seven. And this is also tied to a church thing, which is interesting. So there was one particular Sunday where I visited my dad because my parents split up. So on weekends, I would go see, I would go be with my dad. And during the week, I'd be with my mom. And so some Sundays I would be at my mom's ward and then others I would be with my dad's ward. So this particular Sunday, I was in my dad's ward. And both my brother and I, we couldn't stop screaming in sacrament meeting. You know, every parent, it's just like, they just, (laughs) oh, it's the worst. (laughs) But what was different about my brother and I, and what we were screaming about and having tantrums about, we were yelling my stepdad's name over and over again, and we couldn't calm down. And the bishop got down from the stand, and he took my dad out into the lobby with me and my brother. And I guess, and, I'm, and I'm, I've been told all this, I don't really remember this. I remember vague pieces, but my dad's told me this. So I guess I went into Bishop's office to talk with him and tell him what was going on. and. I guess I told Bishop about the abuse that my stepdad was putting us through. And uh, anyway, my dad found out, didn't go well. No. And yeah, and before this stepdad left, there was one night in particular, my mom at the time was seven, eight months pregnant with my little, with my littlest sister. And I heard yelling in the kitchen and I got up from my bed and I snuck around and I looked into the uh, into the kitchen from the doorway, and I was hidden from my parents, well, from my stepdad and my mom. And he was yelling, and he forcefully picked my mom up and threw her across the kitchen floor, and she landed on her stomach with my little sister. So I saw that happen. I guess that might have been what caused me to freak out at church, right? And then Bishop finds out 
Bishop tells dad. And dad tells my stepdad to never come again into our lives. And he basically said, if you don't leave, I'm going to hurt you. So leave, leave. Mm-hmm. Um, before he left, he poured battery acid through our house. And so the, all the floors in my mom's house were just ruined because he did that. He cut all the telephone wires. So my mom couldn't call for help when we needed it. We got out of the house that night. Uh, mom got us in uh, in our car and we drove to a shelter. And we stayed there, I think for like a week. And I remember while being at the shelter, eating a Pop-Tart that didn't have frosting on it. Yeah, Weird. and that was one of the most like visceral memories that I had of just, oh, my life is really different. And I guess what I thought was normal is different. And you know, it was mm-hmm. like, frosted Pop-Tarts are normal, unfrosted are different. My mom and men is normal and the shelter is different. And it all just kind of clicked into place of like, oh, what I've been through, not everyone else has either, mm-hmm. you know? So because of that, <laughs> um, I had a really hard time throughout my teenage years, going to church, being an LDS, a Mormon person, being okay with any sort of sexuality, especially when it was used as a weapon against me. Yeah, so when I was 10 or 11, my mom got remarried to a wonderful guy. Um, I moved from Wichita, Kansas to Burlington, Kansas, which is, it was crazy. (laughs) I was sitting in the back seat and we pulled up to one of the two main stoplights in the town and I looked over to my left and there was a Dairy Queen, which I was surprised about. And in the drive through of the Dairy Queen was a tractor and an actual farmer in the tractor. <laughs> and he got down from his seat in the tractor to get his blizzard and then got back up into his tractor and left and drove away. And I was like, where am I? Where, <laughs> what is this place? So, uh, so yeah, I just, I remember when I first got there, I was very wary of everybody. I had a really hard time trusting anyone. And um, that was both um, people at church as well as just classmates and things like that. And also being an 11 year old girl and uh, yeah. middle school being the worst mm-hmm. and learning how to trust others and when you're just so incredibly shy. So throughout I guess, I guess we'll go to high school then, um, high school. So I'm dating boys. I'm also finding moments of girls are pretty. Why do I think that? At first I thought it was, oh, I wanna have good grades like them. I wanna look like them. I wish I was taller. Um, I wish I had bigger boobs. I wish, you know, I wish I looked a certain way. I wish that boys looked at me the way that I'm looking at, the, at these girls. So it seemed like that's why they were catching my attention, was that I wanted to be them. Mm-hmm. Looking back now, it's different. Mm-hmm. It's very different. Okay, so dating boys, several boyfriends uh, took advantage of situations with me um, that I don't want to go into, but it was not safe. And many times I felt like I disconnected from my body and I was watching what was happening rather than being a willing participant in it. Mm-hmm. And so while I'm having these moments with boyfriends and I'm noticing girls and I'm trying to be worthy of the temple throughout high school, it was so confusing. And I'm doing band and choir and track and trying to stay as busy as I can to get the best grades that I can so I can be perfect. And um, I had one branch president in particular who forever altered the way that I viewed myself. And it also changed how I thought God was viewing me too. I was telling him about an experience that I had with a boyfriend that now knowing what I know now, um, was assault. Uh, and instead of it being treated as assault in our, in my Bishop interview, it quickly devolved into why were you there? What time of night was it? What were you wearing? 
he was doing that with you at that place, you let him do that. And I thought that he deserved the right to know everything. Because if I told him, if I didn't lie, and I told him what I thought he wanted to hear, that I would be um, fully repentant and worthy of the temple. So that happened. And then, uh, yeah, so fast forward a couple of years. I'm now a freshman at BYU. And, man, (laughs) I am with a very wonderful boyfriend, a person that doesn't happen to believe in any sort of God, but someone who believed in me and what I wanted to do with my life. And I was with a different bishop in a different state. I'm in Utah at BYU. And he asks me to write my autobiography for him so that way he can have a better idea of how to um, help me and help my spirit and get me worthy of the temple. So by this point in my life, I hadn't been to the temple in about four or five years. So that whole week, I would fast for most of the day. I would say lots of prayers, and then I would write. And it was one of the closest times in my life that I've ever felt to God. And so time came for me to go to my next meeting and show Bishop what I had written. And it was eight pages single spaced. (laughs) 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 And so I was like, if we just want to read through half of it, and then I can come again the week after and we can finish it, we can do that. But what he decided to do is just read through it right then and there. And he skimmed it. As he was skimming, he just would stop every once in a while and go, hmm. And then he would keep reading. And then another grunt, another moan. And I'm just sinking lower, lower, and lower into my chair of like, thought I was doing what was asked of me, and I'm still not good enough. After he finished perusing, (laughs) uh, he turned the papers over face down and slid them across his desk to me. And he said, after reading everything that you've been through, that is a very hard life that you've lived, but that does not excuse what you've done, Sister Poplin. It doesn't excuse your sins. And I remember everything around me going gray and getting really quiet, but also loud at the same time. And all I remember thinking was, I just, I'll put a smile on my face. I'll lie until it's good enough. And I, every once in a while, I I would hear Bishop coming in through my thoughts. It was like a big fog. Like he was, it was like he was shouting through this fog that was coming around me. And he said, uh, you know, I want you to be temple worthy in a month. Let's try to get you ready to go to the temple in a month. We're not going to have you pray. You can't take the sacrament. You can't bear your testimony. So essentially I was on what's uh, uh, probation. Yeah. So I was on probation. And that was right before Christmas break freshman year. So I came home from that meeting absolutely not knowing what to do. And all I wanted was to just fall into bed and just disappear. And I get to my dorm and I see that my person who was living with me, her whole side of the room has been packed up already. And we only have a week left of the semester. And she said, "Uh, Chelsea, I don't know what's been going on with you, but there is a darkness around you and I can't be near it anymore. So I'm going to move out and I'm gonna go be with someone else down the hall. And when I first got accepted into BYU, it felt like a place where change could finally happen and that I could be with people that thought like me, felt like me, and that I found a home. But every day it felt like that was a ridiculous assumption. How could I ever think that? So she, she moved out, and then um, like a day later, two days later, the RM 
the RM, the RA, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Um, she pulled me aside and she said, Hey, um, can I, can I talk to you more about why your roommate, um, left? Like, can we go get dinner and talk about it? And I said, sure. And it was just, it was one of the most depressing dinners I've ever had of just being told (laughs) that, um, I'm hard to be around. And that's, that's what I was hearing. I'm sure that she didn't say that, but I'm 18 and, um, my life is falling apart around me and I have no one around me to support me. So that's what I heard. So, um, came home for Christmas break and essentially I realized, oh, I'm inconsequential choices that I make only hurt me and I, and I can't be hurt any more than I already am. So why not make it worse? (laughs) And so I contacted an old boyfriend and (laughs) we had a night and we made out and I didn't feel anything the whole time. I once again disconnected from my body and I watched it happen. I, he dropped me back off at my, at my house and I, I went up into a bathroom, I turned on the water, and I had an immediate thought to uh, cut myself. Yeah, I turned on the water in the, in the faucet, and then I just sat in the, in the tub. No water, just, I just sat in the tub, and I closed the curtain, and I just got the thought to just do it. And I did, and it was not what I thought it was going to feel like. I didn't like it immediately. And um, I dropped the razor, I got out of the tub, and I looked at myself in the mirror, and I asked, I asked Heavenly Father if I was worthy of love. I had messed up so many times before. I had been told that, regardless of where I've been in my life, that my sins will always be my sins. And the answer that I got was that I'm enough. And so, I left the bathroom and I made a personal promise to God that I was going to become temple worthy on my own and use use the bishop <laughs> to get where I wanted to be, which was at the temple. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. And anyway, so how this all ties into, I guess, my identity as a bisexual woman. I didn't figure this out about myself until I was 22, 23. I am now 28. So I am a little bit of a late bloomer. (laughs) (laughs) I like looking back, like I said, I can remember moments of like looking up to aspire, like maybe wanting to aspire to be these women, but now I know. There was one boyfriend that I had in high school we were at senior prom together and I couldn't stop talking about these girls and their dresses and like how they were dressed up and how much I just appreciated what they were wearing. And he just turned to me and he said, Chelsea, are you, are you bisexual? And, uh, and at that time I was, I just said, no, 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 I'm not. No, I'm not. (laughs) No. (laughs) Anyway, so fast forward to age 23 I'm figuring these things out about myself, and I decide to tell my husband. Um, my husband and I, we've been married now for, at that time, for three years. And when I sat him down and told him, he said, well, I mean, I think I always knew. I always knew. And I said, well, wait, what? How did you know when I didn't? That's not fair. Like, man, not cool. <laughs> and, um, Anyway, and he has been my number one support ever since of um, loving myself and coming to terms with it. I just never thought it was going to be real and that I could say these words out loud and acknowledge it for what it is. What a good husband. Oh, he's the best. (laughs) Oh my gosh, he's, he's actually one of the best people on this planet. Yeah, I am very, very, very lucky. Yeah, so is he, by the way. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, but yeah, we've we've been through the ringer. 
We've been married for, it was eight years in June. And uh, my husband left the LDS church about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a process in, like, in and of itself. That was its own thing that we both had to come to terms with and reevaluate and what does our marriage look like now. I think one of the major key uh, moments for me with where I met now with my relationship with the LDS Church was the exclusion policy with same-sex couples being um, and their children being barred from baptism at age eight, same-sex couples um, being labeled as apostates and subject to a disciplinary council. So when that happened, I was in grad school. I struggled a lot with it. I turned off my phone for like three days after that happened and I had so many missed calls from my mom and my brother and a lot of my family members who were just really, really worried about me. At that time, I had a very earnest prayer about it and at that time I got the confirmation to stay in the church, to keep where I was. I had some really beautiful spiritual moments doing my work there. Um, In California, I was a young women's leader and being able to work with those girls changed a lot of how I viewed myself. And it was also this really cool atonement moment (laughs) where I was also forgiving myself for where I was when I was a teenager by working with them. It was a really beautiful and I think heaven sent calling. So at that time when that exclusionary policy came to light, came to fruition, rather than immediately leaving the church, I stayed. And I got my calling for young women's like two weeks after. And I think these are really personal and sacred things that happen with these girls, so I'm not gonna share them. But um, just know that beautiful things happened and they wouldn't have been able to happen if I were not bisexual and that I didn't have my own personal relationship to Heavenly Father and what that identity means and helping girls figure out what their identity is. God works in mysterious ways and pretty cool. I guess now, kind of where I'm at, Mm -hmm. scars that are healing, wounds that are still open, all of that congealing. Yes. I have many scars from the LDS church and they hurt and they sting and some of them are, I don't even want to look at the scars. I don't even want to acknowledge them. They'll just heal on their own, right? But I need to probably look at them a little bit more. But um, where I am right now is a good place, a safe place. And that for me right now just means taking a step away. I can't tell you how much I wish that I could just grin and bear it and I could just have a perfect testimony and that I would never question again because doesn't that sound great it sounds so nice and I'm so jealous of those people that I sometimes hear about where like nothing will make them waver yeah mm-hmm. it's, I've never understood that but just as I've gotten older and I've met different people and I've learned these things about myself and my eyes have been opened to a different kind of Christ-like love that I didn't know I could have before. So when when either I'm told or the greater LGBT community is told either by true blue Mormons, unorthodox Mormons, what have you, across the gamut, when any group is telling another group that this is how they should feel and this is this is what is right and this is what is wrong, what conversation is happening? There's no conversation. It's a it's it's an attack on either side. Mm-hmm. And what good of that? There's nothing good that's going to come from it, right? Yeah. And so I am not a struggle. My sexuality is not a struggle. It is not a temptation. It is not a trial. It is not something on my mortal coil that will be taken away from me in the next life. It is something beautiful and sacred and special and something that I believe my heavenly parents asked me either to carry in this life or maybe I wasn't told like explicitly this is 
this is what you've been asked to carry. But just that I think my Heavenly Father and my mother, they really, really trust me to know what is good for me. And I think they've given me enough tools to try to figure that out on my own now, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are many things within the LDS faith that I firmly believe, firmly, of we have a Heavenly Mother. What a beautiful entity mm-hmm. she is. She will always remain near and dear to me. I have a strong testimony in what the atonement can do. It has done so much for me time and time again. I know I'm a daughter of God, a complicated one, a healing one, a broken one, but I am someone to him. And I think for right now, that's just where I'm at. It's hard not feeling like particular aspects of church history were hidden from me. It's hard not feeling like I was led along to believe a certain kind of truth about church history, about problematic social issues that are happening today, especially when I'm a member of that community. Yeah, so there's still a lot of healing that needs to happen. And I will say that throughout this whole process, never once did my husband say, you should leave, you need to leave. He was always, whenever I had a really good day at church, I would come home and he would want to hear all about it. And we would just sit on our couch with our cats and we would just talk about how, like, what amazing talks were happening today where it's actually gospel oriented. Yes. Not culture oriented. Yes. <laughs> not, um, not check, check boxes. Mm-hmm. Actual people living the gospel and talking about it openly. What amazing moments those are. Yeah. And then there would be other Sundays where proclamation to the family or of the family would come up and people not knowing my sexual orientation, my history with terrible father figures in my life, just (laughs) saying things that made me really wonder if I was wanted. And I hear it all the time. It's a choice to get offended. It's a choice, it's a choice, it's a choice to get offended. I and that's horrible to say to people sometimes. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> the worst. Um, it's also a choice to not get offended, right? And to uh, like forgive and um, all of that. But uh, what I think is pretty offensive <laughs> when it comes to this is that there are members of the church who feel that they can say those things without being called out on, who feel that they can they can say those problematic things without regard for anyone else in the room. That's pretty offensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I get offended by that, then I guess I'll work that out with God later. <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, I've I've been the very awkward person in the room who, after someone says a comment that is just wrong or ill-informed or not kind I raise my hand <laughs> and it's hard doing all that emotional labor <laughs> when everyone's already you know on edge right but if I was asked to stay in the church I'm going to stay in it but I'm going to do it my way yes. and I'm going to work with God on it and be humble but come on we need we need to do better we mm-hmm. can do better and we should be we yeah. should be so yeah, there was there was one. Oh, here's a story. There was one particular um, relief society lesson that I was sitting in on during grad school, and this is when I was starting to come and accept my sexuality and da 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 da. And the lesson was uh, law of chastity, which is always uh-huh. like everyone. It's the worst. It's actually terrible. <laughs> no one wants to talk about it, but like we have to do it once a year and like just anyway. Uh, so we all knew like for like punching our card in when we came into the lesson that day. Anyway, so we were all in the same boat and uh, this sister who's teaching. Um, okay. So my board dynamics, we have some people who are in grad school. There's like maybe 20% of like student aged mm-hmm. couples in the ward. And then vast majority, um, 60% are over 40 and then the last little bit are like 60 and over. So that's kind of the dynamics. And I'm in California for God's school. So overall, pretty, pretty accepting, pretty welcoming. And um, my Sunday school teacher at that time, she was a registered um, therapist. So just 
usually really great conversations until we had this lesson. Okay, so this wonderful sister who's giving this lesson, I'm sure that she's just reading questions that are printed in the manual. Mm -hmm. And so keep that in mind. So her question was, why would, why would an LDS woman who knows the standards of the church go against them when it comes to the law of chastity? I saw her glance down at her book. I don't know if she got the question like exactly from her manual or if she just kind of went off and did her own question. But I immediately tensed up. I was like, oh no, this is not going to go well. And <laughs> a sister who was sitting next to me, she touched my leg and because she felt me tense and get like stiff in my chair. She put her hand on my leg and she was like, Sister Hickman, I didn't tell you, but your dress is beautiful today. And I look over at her, I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and I was just trying so hard not to just blow a casket. So this question has been asked. And then this other sister who is simply just answering a question that has been asked, she raises her hand and she says, well, I think it just comes down to low self-esteem. Like that's, that's the only reason that I can think of, of a woman going actively going against her covenants and sinning in that way. And I felt the Holy Ghost kick me. So I raised my hand and I'm shaking the whole time. And I got called on and I said, well, I'm terrified of the direction that this conversation is going in. I'm worried that this conversation is not helpful to the most, the most faithful and those who are struggling. I'm worried that this dialogue is leading to the idea of victim blaming and victim shaming. And as someone who has been abused all my life, <laughs> assaulted several times, I don't feel safe with this conversation. And I've had to work hard to even be in this room with all of you. So can we please change the topic? Can we talk about Christ? And like, it got really quiet in the room. Like, everyone got really quiet. And uh, the woman who was teaching, she was crying a little bit. She said, Sister Hickman, thank you. I think the spirit did leave, but thank you for bringing it back. And we went along swimmingly <laughs> from there. So I came home from church that day and I was telling my mom about that. And I'm trying to remember, I don't think gay marriage was made legal yet. Yeah, that it was gonna, it's going to be a year later. So for whatever reason, whenever my mom and I would talk about church, it would always go back to gay marriage. And it, it, it happened again in that phone conversation after I just told her about this law of chastity lesson and how I stood up and I was, you know, I felt like I just poured my testimony in front of a whole room of people and like, how great is this? And she blurted out, Chelsea, do you want to sleep with women? Yeah. Because somehow, yeah, we got on the topic of gay marriage and that it was important to me and that I stand by it and that, you know, I've talked with other bishops about it and I've been given a temple recommend for, yeah. And anyway, and then she just blurted out, Chelsea, do you want to sleep with women? And so my coming out moment was kind of taken from me a little bit of a, and then I thought about all these other times where other things have been taken from me um, without my consent. And it was this weird, this weird moment. And I said, um, you know, I'm not entirely sure, but I do have same-sex attraction. I do. And so it's been an ongoing thing there with my mom. So that wound is still open. Yeah, painfully open. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, working through it. Are we all? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Working through something. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I just feel like, I like said a lot. <laughs> I'm like, hmm. I don't know if you noticed, I was like really trying to choke back tears a little bit while you were talking, especially talking about the church and scars from the church. And I don't even have any like deep scars, traumatic things from the church. I don't. Yeah. It's... It's honestly the people that I love. It's seeing what people go through by people who are supposed to be Christians, who are supposed to be treating people with love and kindness, as we've been taught, and treating people worse than I can imagine instead. <laughs> and that is what puts a wedge in the church for me. Mm -hmm. 
like I said, I've not had anything traumatic really happen with the church. Like I don't have any personal scars other than like not agreeing with everything and not, you know, the the church culture. Like I have my issues with the church, but a lot of my problems come with just the treatment of the people that I love. Yeah. Um, and the way that they've been treated by people in the church. And something that I always hate is when members are like, you don't go to church for the people, you go for you. And I'm like, okay, I get that to an extent. Right. I I get that to an extent. But if you're not welcome at church, if people don't treat you as a fellow brother or sister in Christ, why would you go? Yeah. Like, why are you going to go somewhere that is hurtful to you mm-hmm. and harmful? So on the vein of the church, like just on the church, yeah. there's something else that really bothers me is I've come to hear, I've come to understand this, but uh, leadership roulette where sometimes oh, you're yeah. going to have awesome leaders yep. and other times you're not. I have been very fortunate to have pretty great leaders so far, yeah. especially in my ward here. Yeah. They're like, oh, that the only reason I can still stay in the church is because I have a very good ward with very good leadership. So yes. I've won the roulette right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but hearing what your what you went through with Bishop and it was a branch president, right? And my branch president right. before. Yeah. It just completely breaks my heart and also like fires me up really bad because <laughs> they are supposed to be comforters. They're supposed to be there to help us. And if what they're doing is harmful, they shouldn't be in that position. I, I, that's the way I look at it. And so I just hearing all of your stories and everything that you've been through, my heart just breaks for you but also like explodes with like love and joy for you because you are such an amazing beautiful human being (laughs) and (laughs) to to see you and how you live your life and how you treat others and what you do for other people just seeing everything that you do and all that you've been through we need more people like you (laughs) really like everyone goes through hard things everyone does everyone goes through hard things and what may be hard for one person may be a drop in a bucket to another person Mm -hmm. but everyone goes through hard things but to take them as you have and work on them and be open and honest that it's congealing still. Yeah. It's still healing. Yeah. But to openly accept that and still do the best that you can, which you do, and I see that. You really do Me your too. absolute best. So to see that, it just blows me away, especially just again, hearing everything you've been through. Because some of the stuff like I kind of knew about, yeah, yeah. but some of it I definitely did not know. I don't even know where I'm really going with all of this other than just like, (laughs) just, I'm going to go back to kind of something you said. Yeah. Heavenly parents and having a heavenly mother. It's not talked about nearly enough. No, not nearly enough, but our heavenly parents love us endlessly. It doesn't matter what we've done. And they especially aren't going to look at your life afterward and say, it doesn't matter what happened to you. You're in charge of your own sins. Like that's, (laughs) I don't believe in those kind of heavenly parents. I don't believe in that kind of God. I don't believe in that kind of mother. I just don't. So just hearing your story and the way you live, it just takes me back to you shine with our heavenly parents love for others and 
I can see that you try to show yourself that as well. And I know that sometimes loving yourself is sometimes like Ugh. the hardest thing it's to the worst. do. <laughs> it's like the hardest thing to do. But when you can show yourself that love and that compassion, it opens you up to show so much more love and compassion to those around you yeah. because you're the hardest on yourself. Right. So if you can give yourself some compassion and leniency, you're going to give it to other people. Yeah. And so just, and even just in this room, I know people are just listening, but like, <laughs> even in this room, like I can just, I very much believe that you can feel feelings. Like you can very much feel emotions Yes. and just the love that is in this room because of you and your story and your willingness to open up and love others. Like it's so tangible. It's so like, <laughs> it's tangible. It's there. Um, and I just... I guess I just really want to tell like the listeners mm -hmm. and you, you matter and you are valid. And especially with this LGBT season, your feelings are not a hardship. They're not something as you, as you said, Chelsea, they're not just suddenly going to be taken away in the next life. I really don't, I don't believe that because that makes you who you are. Yeah. That's a part of you. So just remember that when things are difficult, you are valid, your feelings are valid, and you are loved, so loved, <laughs> even when you don't feel it. Yeah. And whether you are a spiritual person or not, whether you believe in God or not, I very much do believe in God. So even when you're feeling the loneliest, Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother are there loving you, whether you feel it or not. And sometimes you just don't feel it. Yeah. Especially just when things are really hard. Yeah. Sometimes you just don't feel it. Right. It just... It, it feels lonely. Yes. From time to time. Yeah. But just trying to remember that you are loved. I think can be really helpful sometimes. Oh yeah. You're amazing as you are. And you take all the steps back that you need so that you can feel safe and know that there are people around you who love you. I don't know. Yeah. And I say, I think that for every person. Yes. Every person, like take as many steps back as you need so that way you can feel safe. Cause that's the number one thing. If you're not safe, you don't need to stay wherever you are. Yeah, because I've I've prayed about, you know, when I when I've had these major conjunctions in my life of do I stay in the church or do I leave? And it's only happened maybe three times in my life where I felt the need to pray about that specifically. First two times that it happened was stay where you are. You're where you're needed. And the most recent time that I prayed about it, it wasn't that long ago, I've gotten the most amount of peace that I felt in a long time of being okay to step back. And it took me a long time to understand why that would be my answer, because I know how the Holy Ghost talks to me, and why would he be telling me this? And then I thought back to my initial reaction to the exclusionary policy and how I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel confirmation from the Holy Ghost that this was of God, and I did feel anger, but eventually the anger dissipated, and in its place, a very strange nothing was just there. And so I think that if I could just maybe like tell my younger self something, yeah, um, to trust the answers that you're given. Yeah, just that. Just trust the answers that you're given, even if they go against what people have told you your whole life. Yeah, that was really, really hard of like, why is this my answer? I like I could have gotten anyone else's answer of just stay and grin and bear it mm -hmm. and, and do work from the inside and get called the young women's again and change people's lives in, in, in that way. And um, I could do it, but I haven't been happy yeah. for a while. Mm -hmm. And so I think... I think Heavenly Father just wants me to be happy. Mm -hmm. And it's terrifying thinking that that happiness, how much is it aligning with the great plan of happiness? Yeah. <laughs> and how much of it is my plan that I need to kind of sort out a little bit more? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, how do I balance my will and God's will? Yeah. And 
what does that actually look like and what does it feel like? And anyway, so I'm just, I'm just learning a lot, I'm learning a lot right now. <laughs> yes. I really want to like on that note, I think that's actually a really good note to end on is you deserve to be happy. Everyone deserves to be happy. There's even scripture men are that they might have joy. That's, that's, that's the point. And I understand, you know, like overall the great plan of happiness, like I, I understand like the eternal aspect of things is so much more than just this life. But I also believe that we are meant to be happy in this life too. Yeah. Even if that means you don't necessarily do the church's checklist of the cookie cutter. Of the, yeah, yes. Yeah. Even if you're not in the cookie cutter of what's supposed to bring you joy and happiness, that's okay. There's not one perfect way to happiness. And I know that the church kind of likes to say that there is. Yes. <laughs> There's not. Trust your trust your answers that you get. Even if they are different from what you've been taught because personal revelation is a real thing and no one can tell you for you what's best you know yourself best so trust those answers and accept them because that's something else is accepting the answer that you get Uh, can be really difficult sometimes yeah it's the worst (laughs) it really can (laughs) so trust yourself accept the answer and know that you are meant to be happy Our heavenly parents want you to be happy and that can come in many different ways, shapes and forms. So don't think that you have to live one certain way to have that happiness. Yeah. I think that's about, yeah, like you, you've, you've said so many good, wonderful things. So I'm like, I I have nothing. I got nothing. (laughs) That's how I feel. I'm like, Chelsea's just amazing. And I I have nothing. Stop. 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 (laughs) They're incredible. Thank you. You're welcome. You just are fantastic. (laughs) Seriously. This was great. I, I hardly, I hardly spoke and I kind of love it. Okay. So you are fantastic. <laughs> okay, great, good. <laughs> thank you. You're so welcome. Kim. So much. Yeah. Seriously, thank you. Thank you. I know that it, I ask a lot of people <laughs> to be this vulnerable <laughs> on, a, yeah. on a podcast that's going to go out, but yeah. you're wonderful. Thank you. And I appreciate you being on. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Good. <laughs>